to get our lives right before we follow him. He just invites us to follow. And uh, some of the benefits of following Jesus is, yes, your life is better. Yes, all those things. But that's not really the reason that Jesus came to die. The reason that Jesus came and says, follow me, is because he wants you to lead lead, lead a life where you don't have any fear. He said, do not be afraid. I am always with you. And that's the key thing in following Jesus is that, I don't know about you, but I need to know that he is with me no matter what is going on in my life. Because uh, I don't know about you, but every now and then I have these gremlins that rise up on the inside of me and I get a little bit of anxiety and a little bit of fear and a little bit of confusion, a little bit of, I can only imagine for Sarah and Sanjeet as those visas got denied and what's going on, God, what are you doing? Like uh, the whole world is in turmoil. But when you know that Jesus is with you, when you know that when you follow him, he is always with you, it gives you a great peace to know that it doesn't matter what's happening in the world around me, God's got my soul. Amen? All right, so there's massive benefits to following Jesus. But like anything, as much as there's huge benefits to following Jesus, there's always the fine print. Are you with me this morning? There is a cost to following him. And the reality is, is that when we encounter the cost of following Jesus, we discover in that moment whether we're actually a follower or whether we're a consumer. Because what a consumer does is it consumes all the benefits upon themselves, but when the time comes for them to pay a little bit of a price, that's when we discover whether we're a follower or whether we're a consumer. And so I want to go through some scripture this morning. I want to show you, in reality, the cost of following Jesus is actually not a cost at all when you understand it in the big picture of everything that it is. So we're going to start in Mark chapter 8, verse 27. It says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. And Jesus said, well, that's nice, but who do you say that I am? What do you say? He asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that has been sent for us. And then Jesus warned them not to tell anybody about him. In other words, he's saying to him, Pete, you got it right, just don't tell anybody. And then he goes on in verse 31, and he says, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So Peter's had this moment where he realizes who Jesus is. You're the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that has been sent to save us. And and he's pretty excited about that because it's just, he's just realized that this is, you know, after two years of following Jesus, he's finally got a clue. And, um, And then Jesus goes on to say, oh, cool. It's good that you know that, but you need to understand that this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be persecuted. This is going to happen. I'm going to be killed. And then I'm going to, you know, and and that's why, and Peter, Peter like pulls Jesus to one side and says, Jesus, Jesus. That's silly talk. You are the Messiah. You're the one that has been sent. You're the one that the scriptures speak about. What's all this silly talk about you dying? Come on. This is just crazy. This is negativity. You need to get a positive mindset today, Jesus. You need to start, you know, thinking, mate, I've been on the boat when the wind and the waves obeyed you. What do you, what do you, this is silly talk. You need to calm it down. So, Pete is trying to, you know, encourage Jesus and say to him, it's not all that bad. And Jesus then responds to him in verse 33. 
But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have the mind, have in mind the concerns of God, but merely of human concerns. Poor old Pete, he's just trying to encourage Jesus and tell him that it's, it's all okay, and then he gets called Satan. I don't know about you, but sometimes when um, my kids have responded uh, to certain things, especially when they're that kind of two to three-year-old age bracket, you think it's Satan, don't you? Don't look at me like that. You've all had those moments of your children where it's like, come out in Jesus' name. And here he is, and he's saying, and, and, God, and Jesus just rebukes him and calls him. Could you imagine if, if, if that happened to you or to me? Could you imagine if you came up to me after the service and, and said to me, no, Craig, let me just have a conversation with you for a moment. And I said, get behind me, Satan. I mean, I, I'm not sure you would last very long in the church. I'm pretty sure that you would leave uh, if I called you Satan. But here's Jesus calling Pete, who's given up his life and followed him for the last two years and sacrificed, not, hey, thanks, Pete, for following me. Thanks for the sacrifices you've made. It's just get behind me, Satan. How many people want to follow Jesus? Um, but the reason why he says that is he says this, and the key thing is this, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And so what he's really saying is he's saying, hey, Pete, we, we've had some fun times, haven't we? We, we? We've had some great times. This whole following me thing, it's been cool. We've seen people raised from the dead. We've seen the blind heal, the deaf here. It, it, we've had a really, really good time. And, and I know, Pete, you've enjoyed following me because you've followed me for the last two years and, and we're having a good time. But, but, Pete, let's be honest for a moment here. You've become a consumer because your mind is on human concerns, not God's concerns. You, you're actually shifted from being a follower of me to becoming a consumer. And really what he's saying is this, is that a consumer is someone that is in it for what they can get out of it. And he's saying to Pete, so far you've really enjoyed this because you've benefited hugely from following me and you're getting a lot, but you've really become a consumer. You've really become all about what you can get out of it. See, every single one of us, including myself, want to be a follower of Jesus, but that means that sometimes I've got to follow him to a place that may cost me something. Jesus wants to know that when he goes to a place that may cost him something, that you're going to be with him, that you're not going to abandon him, that you're going to stick with him. He wants to know that you're with him. And the reason that he rebuked Peter is so strongly is because Peter wasn't concerned about what was going to happen to Jesus. P Peter wasn't concerned about what was going to happen to Jesus. Peter was concerned about what was going to happen to Peter if that happened to Jesus. Must be the Lord. Peter was concerned about what was going to happen to him if that happened to Jesus. That's why he says to him, Peter, you are not got in mind the concerns of God. You've got in mind the concerns of yourself. You're thinking about how this is going to affect you if this happens to me. You're not actually thinking about me. You're not actually thinking about what I'm going through. You're not actually thinking about what I have to do. You're thinking about how is this going to affect Pete if that happens to Jesus? I don't know about you, but I don't know how many times I think about in my life, if I'm really honest, what's going to happen to Craig if Jesus doesn't do this? Are you with me this morning? We can become consumeristic so quickly 
Jesus uses this moment of rebuking Peter and explaining, hey guys, your problem is you become consumers. You've, you've got your mind on, on how it affects you, not, not the big picture of what God's trying to do here. He takes this moment to, to reveal the fine print of following Jesus, to reveal what it really means to follow him. And, and in verse 34, he says he called the crowd, that is Jesus called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Everyone say, deny themselves. And take up their cross and follow me. You see, following Jesus is huge benefits, yeah? It makes me a better person. Following Jesus makes me a better husband. Following Jesus makes me a better dad. Following Jesus has huge benefits, but if that is what drives me, if I'm just following Jesus because of what I can get out of it, the benefits that I can get out of it, then I'm a consumer. And because Jesus is saying as a follower from time to time, you're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to deny what you want in order for what he wants. Denying yourself, though, we think that that's a big thing, but in reality is denying yourself is not a big thing because we do it all the time. You go out for dinner. Would you like dessert, sir? Oh, no. No, I really shouldn't. You want to. You want to have dessert, but you deny yourself dessert because you're like, I've just eaten a 500-gram steak. I really don't need dessert. Yes? There's all these people in this place say, no, you never deny the dessert. You start with the dessert and work your way backwards. But we deny ourselves of stuff all the time, don't we? Yes? I can remember when, um, when we were first uh, married and, and, and we got given a TV. My brother used to work for an organization and we got given a TV and it was this awesome TV. But after about six months, it died and it was going to cost too much money to get it fixed. And, and Trinity says this to me, go out and get a TV, but we don't need anything bigger than a 14-inch. Now, how many people know in that moment I should have said, get behind me, Satan? She goes, we don't need anything bigger than a 14-inch. We're hardly ever home. We hardly watch TV. You don't. So I went out and I got a 28-inch TV because that's what you do. And I get home with this TV and she goes, what's that? That's the TV. 14-inch expanded version. I could have brought, I got this, I said, I said to her, this is what I actually literally said to her. This was cheaper than buying two 14-inch TVs, but it gives us the same picture size. <laughs> well, what was my problem? I, hadn't den- I wasn't able to deny myself of a 28-inch TV, but I know when our other TV died and, I, and, and it was getting towards the end of its life, and I remember going in and, and everything in me in that one moment there in, in Noel Emings wanted to buy the new TV immediately. But I've tried to coach myself, and I believe I have coached myself, that I never, ever make decisions right there on the moment. I always go away and sleep on it and make a decision, and it stops me from consuming on on my wants. It enables me to be able to deny myself a little bit because sometimes we just want stuff that we actually don't need. We just want it. And so we deny ourselves of stuff all the time, yes? You deny yourself of certain foods because you're trying to eat healthy and and, and stuff. You deny yourself of your sanity by going running or to the gym. We deny ourselves 
all the time of different things, don't we? Yes? I can remember before I had kids, I never denied myself of anything that I wanted clothes-wise. It's like if somebody said to me, go to the warehouse to go shopping, I'd be like, excuse me, I don't warehouse shop. Now that I have children, warehouse is the best place on the face of the planet. I have holes in my undies, praise Jesus, something I swore I'd never do before I had children. Why? Because we deny ourselves, don't we, as parents, so that our children can have things, we deny ourselves of our things. So to deny ourselves is actually not a biggie. We do it all the time. But when it comes to the kingdom, when we hear the word deny ourselves, we, we, we just think we've got to give up all this stuff. We think we've got to give up all these things, but to deny yourself simply means to say no to you. To say no to you. How many people need to, in this place this morning, need to get up in the morning sometimes and say no to me and yes to something else? And that's why... I said before, Sarah and Sanjeet, they've said no to themselves to say yes to God. And to deny yourself is really as simple as that. It's saying no to me to say yes to God. It's not that big a deal. And Jesus is saying as we're going along, there's going to be moments in our journey of following him where we're going to have to make decisions about what I want compared to what Jesus wants. And I'm going to have to deny myself to say yes to him. And in that moment of denying myself, I'm deciding whether I'm a follower or whether I'm a consumer. See, to be a follower, you're going to have to, at times, have to say no to yourself in order to say yes to Jesus. And the thing that I love about Jesus the most is he doesn't hide any of this. All the stuff that he's asking of us, he doesn't hide it, you know. You, you sign a contract with a bank or whatever, and they hide it all in the small print that you have to get a magnifying glass to read. But Jesus is really blatant about what it is that requires to follow him. He goes on and he says this in verse 35, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me in the gospel will save it. Everyone say save their life. Whoever wants to save their life. How many people here want to save your life? I do. I'm certainly not interested in driving out of this place and losing my life. That's why I make sure that all the new restricted drivers in the church have left the premises or still on the premises before I leave the car park. No, just joking. <laughs> Parents text each other, my daughter's on the road, get off. Um, whoever wants to save their life, that's everyone. And you know what? We, we do try to save our lives, don't we? And I'm not, I'm not bashing any of this stuff. I'm not saying any of this stuff is bad. But we try to save our lives by eating right, yes? So that we're exercising, yeah, uh, sometimes. <laughs> In fact, when I tried to exercise once, I nearly lost my life. So I've decided that that's not a, that's not a good thing. But we try to save it, like we drive carefully. Nobody drives like a lunatic unless you are a lunatic, but you try to save your life. You try to drive safely. You try to do things because you don't want to lose your life. None of us want to lose our lives. We're constantly trying to save it. But here's the thing. One day, no matter what you eat, no matter how much you exercise, no matter how carefully you drive, you will lose your life. It's appointed to man to die once. We're all going to die. You're all going to lose your life one day. Are you with me this morning? You will die one day, and you cannot stop that, and you cannot save yourself from it. 
whether you like it or not, it's going to happen. And but he goes on, he says, but but those who lose their life for me, a life you're going to lose anyway, remember? He says, if you would lose your life for my sake, then you'll save it. Remember this life that he's saying for you to lose is a life that you're going to lose anyway. Are you with me this morning? We spend so much time trying to protect this life, which is a life that you're going to lose anyway. You're going to lose that relationship that you're trying to save one day. You're going to lose the career that you're so proud of one day. You're going to lose the house that you love one day. You're going to lose your holiday destination. We are all going to lose this life that we're trying to save. Now, I'm not saying don't have the house, don't have the career, don't have... I'm not saying don't do any of that. I'm just trying to say to you this morning that if your whole life is built around that, you have trouble because you will lose it one day. And your life doesn't exist of the things you have now. It exists of what people say about you after you've gone. No matter how well you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. And Jesus says here, but whoever loses their life for me, whoever loses it, whoever loses that relationship because of me that you were going to lose anyway, whoever loses that career opportunity because of me that you were going to lose anyway, anything which we think that our life is about, that we may lose because of him. He's saying that if you would do that for my sake or you lose anything in life, that you consider to be important to your life, that you lose because of my sake, because of me and because of my gospel, then you'll save your life. You'll save your life. Jesus is saying that the life you're trying to save, you are actually going to lose. This life that you're trying to save, you're actually going to lose. But if you'd follow me and if you lose your life or whatever life means to you, if you lose that opportunity in following me, if you lose that relationship in following me, if you lose something that you consider incredibly valuable in the process of following me, I want you to know that you're going to lose it anyway is really what he's saying to them. But... There's always a but when it comes to God. If you would lose it for me, if you would lose it for Christ because you decided to follow me and that's why you lost it because you had to say no to somebody or no to you to say a yes to me. And he's saying, if you do that, then you're saving your life. You're saving your life. What you think you're going to lose is actually not really a loss at all. I don't know about you, but when I start thinking about stuff like this, I start to think about what could I lose in my life, yeah? I, I don't know about you, but we've all lost friendships, haven't we? We've all lost, um, I know, I've lost money, I've lost friendships, I've lost loved ones, I've lost, we've all had loss in our lives it's, it's something that happens. It's going to happen anyway. And the reality is, is we can spend so much of our time trying to save our lives, trying to keep things. But Jesus is saying, hey, look, I have no problem with you living your life. But if living, in, in living your life, if you're having to say no to me to save your life, then friend, you're going to lose it anyway. Whatever it is that you're trying to save, you're going to lose it anyway. The key thing is, is that Jesus says, if you lose it for my sake, if you lose it because of me, then there's a purpose 
there's a meaning attached to your loss. And he goes on in verse 36 of Mark 8, and he says, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? So Jesus is putting everything in context here. He's saying if you you try to save this life, one day you're going to lose it anyway. But if you would lose some things of your life by making a stand for me, then you'll save it because what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits or loses or trades his soul? See, when you put it into context of what I could lose in life or what I'm trying to save in life at the risk of forfeiting my soul, it starts to put some of those things that we think we're going to lose into context. I can remember when my brother passed away, you know, drowned at sea trying to save some kids' lives. It puts everything in context. Whenever we lose a loved one, everything gets put in context, doesn't it? The job just doesn't seem that important. The mortgage just doesn't seem that... Everything gets put in context. Because all of a sudden, we become aware of our souls. We become aware of what's going to happen. Forfeit means to to lose or to have to give up. You know, just I just want you for a moment this morning, I want you to imagine that you have everything. You have everything you've ever wanted. The house you want, the car you want, the family you want, the husband you want, the wife you want, the career you want, the pastor you want. <laughs> you have everything you can ever want. You know, people look at your life and they go, wow, look at them. And they have the family, they have the career, they... They just have everything. And Jesus is saying, in this context, he's saying, Jesus is saying, what is the point if you had it all trying to save your life that you're going to lose anyway? What if at the end of your awesome life and all the stuff that you've ever wanted, you forfeited, gave away, or traded your soul? What, what if you got everything you ever wanted in life, all the things you ever desired, but at the end of it, you forfeited your soul? Now, Jesus doesn't actually say what it means by forfeiting soul, what forfeiting your soul looks like. I can only say this, I don't think it's good. I'm not sure it's a good thing. But I want to ask you a question. If you knew living the most awesome life you can think of could cause you to forfeit, to trade, or to lose your soul, how would that sit with you? How would you find that? Because you would give up everything you could to get your soul back. We consider our souls of greater value than any of our possessions, than any of our relationships, than any of our opportunities. Your soul is of such value to you that right in a particular situation, you would trade all of that stuff at the bat of an eyelid to save your soul. And when we understand this, when we understand this, it becomes a life-changing moment. It becomes a, 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 an opportunity for our lives to change where we start to understand that, wow, this thing that Jesus is asking me to deny myself of this thing that he's asking me to pay a cost of 
is actually something I'm going to lose anyway. And what he's trying to say is that in your whole time of trying to keep that, if you forfeit your soul in the process, what's the point? He's trying to show you that your soul is of way more worth than anything else you could ever have. And he's trying to say to you, I'm not asking you to give up something. I'm asking you to save your soul. I'm asking you to save your soul. He's saying in those moments when you're following me and the opportunity comes to say no to God, I want you to say yes because I don't want you to forfeit your soul. I'm not asking you to give up something. I'm asking you to gain your soul. Jesus' followers in that moment, I reckon as he was teaching them, would have realized it. Whatever it is that Jesus was asking them to give up or deny themselves of or do away with, was actually a really easy thing to do in the hindsight of our souls. We have a way that we can give in to our soul, give in to our wants, deny ourselves in such a way that impacts the destination and the shape and the future of our souls. So it's actually not a bigger thing as what we think it is when it comes to denying ourselves and picking up our cross. It's not Jesus trying to take from us, it's Jesus trying to save us. You okay this morning? Jesus is showing us that if we value the future of our soul more than anything else, then we would give up anything. And it's not that hard. It's not that hard. I remember when Seth was little and he was in the swimming pool and, and um, you know, I was keeping an eye on him because he was in the shallow end and then he got himself into the deep end and started to investigate what the bottom of the pool would look like. Not in one moment, not in one moment did I hesitate about having my phone in my pocket or my wallet in my pocket or anything like that. I was in that pool without hesitation, without even thinking about it. Why? Because I didn't really care about my wallet and my phone or anything else. I, it was, I would have given up anything. I would have given up anything to save his soul. To save him. And Jesus is saying, hey man, you need to understand something. I'm not asking you to give up anything. I'm asking you to save your soul. He goes on in verse 38. He says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... The Son of Man will be ashamed of them when it comes to His Father's glory and the holy angels. That could be a really convicting and condemning scripture, but when you understand that Peter was the guy who was at the forefront of all of this, remember, it was Peter that started this whole conversation off. You're the Messiah, the Son of God, the Anointed One. You know, here's the one that said, Jesus, stop talking silly stuff now. Here's the one that got rebuked. Peter's the guy right smack at the middle of it. How many people know what Peter did when the rooster crowed? Peter, when the rooster crowed, denied Jesus how many times? Three times. He denied him. So Pete is the guy that's right smack in the middle of this. Pete is the guy that when it came to deciding whether he was going to be a follower or a consumer, when it came to the place of deciding whether he was going to say no to himself and yes to Jesus, said no to Jesus and yes to himself, and denied him three times. And what did Jesus do? Did Jesus kick him out of the disciples? 
Did Jesus ban him from the club? No. What the scripture teaches us is Jesus forgave Peter. And then he said to Peter, now I'm going to put you in charge of the whole thing. You see, we have this concept that we think that when we let God down or when we don't do what it is that he's asked us to do, that now he punishes us. But he doesn't punish us. He understands how hard it is. He understands in our human nature it's so easy for us to say yes to ourselves. But what he's trying to tell us this morning, if you say yes to you all the time, then you, you run the chance of forfeiting your soul. But here's the cool thing. If the moments come when you should have said yes to Jesus, but you say no to him and you don't deny yourself, it's not the end of the world. He's not going to kick you out of the club. He's going to come and tap on the door of your heart and ask you, hey, uh, do you love me? Like he said to Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And I forgive you. Don't do it again. And now I want you to be in charge of this whole thing. That's the God we serve. It's not a God that punishes. It's a God that forgives and then elevates us to a position that we could never dream that we could be in because God is not about punishing you. That's why God is not about trying to take things away from you. He's just trying to save your soul. You see, salvation is free. Salvation is free. He died on the cross. We don't have to do anything to get salvation. It's just everything after that that may cost you something. But does it really cost you something when it's something that you're going to lose anyway? At some point in our journey, there's going to be a conflict of interest between you and between God. And we have to make a decision in that moment whether we're a follower or whether we're a consumer. I can't take that job because it would take me away from him. I can't have that relationship because it would draw me away from him. I can't do this because it would draw me away from him. You know, when I was at Manukau New Life as a youth pastor there, we had this guy called Glenn Manchester. He was in our church and, and um, he, he, he had set his heart on a career in television and, and um, he, he especially loved, uh, he had done a little bit of uh, making music uh, videos and stuff like that. He's a really, really cool guy, great guy, uh, full on for Jesus. And and he got offered this ultimate job. The ultimate job was his program director for Juice TV. It was like the job he had always wanted. And so he took the job and, and I was just like, mate, that's awesome that you got the job. And then about um, four weeks later, he said to me, I'm, I'm going to have to resign from my job. And I'm like, why, why? Why would you do that? This is your ultimate job. He says, Craig, you don't understand. I sit there all day looking at the content of those music videos. And it's messing with my head. You know, the soft porn music videos that we have now. And it's messing with my head. And I'm starting to have thoughts that I shouldn't be having. I'm starting to think things that I shouldn't think. And I just can't do that job. And I said to him, mate, before you quit, why don't you go and talk to them and just say to them, hey, look, da, da, da. So he went and talked to them and he said, look, this is my problem. I really want the job, but this is my problem. And they're like, man, nobody's ever, ever had a problem with that before. We're not going to make any changes. And so he said, well, then I resign. And he resigned. And you know what? He was out of work for 12 months. It's like, hold on a sec, God, you've given me the career of my dreams, but now it's, I just can't do it because of this. You see... Glenn had 
a situation where it was, is he going to say yes to God or yes to himself? Was he going to say yes to God or yes to himself? He gave up a career because he had to say yes to God and no to himself. He had to understand that I could take this career, but if I'm going to look at this stuff all day long, I'm going to forfeit my soul. And what is the point if I gain the whole world but forfeit my soul? And he was out of work for 12 months, and I remember feeling so bad for him and trying to get him a job and doing everything I could to get him a job. And, and then he, he finally got a job, another job, and a television career, and we got him up to tell everybody, and he now does ads on TV and all sorts of stuff. He's actually phenomenally doing incredibly, incredibly well in the industry. And I remember him getting up and, and telling everybody how he got this job. And, and then he turned around and he said this, and I thought this was so awesome. He goes, but I want you to know, in the last 12 months that I've been unemployed, I have never wanted for anything. God has supplied every single need I've ever had. I've never gone without because I chose to say yes to Jesus and no to myself. You see, when you turn around and say, I'm prepared to lose my life for his sake, Jesus says that you're saved. That means that he will make sure that you're okay, that he's looking after you. Because friend, when you die, it won't matter what house you have, it won't matter what career you have, what will matter is where's your soul? Where's your soul? He shared this verse, and he said this is the verse that got him through the most difficult time of 12 months, where God just came through for him time and time again, and it's a verse we all know, and and I finish on this this morning. It's Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Not I think I have plans for you, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you. But, 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 but I'm having to give up a job and give up finance and give up this. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and give you a future. And the crazy thing about that verse is that's an awesome verse when everything's going really well, when you're fully employed and everything's going really well, when the sky is blue and she said yes to going out with you, that verse is awesome. When things aren't going so well, when it looks like God doesn't have much of a plan for you, because life is going to custard a little bit, when it looks like this awesome plan that you've worked so hard for is now disappearing in front of your face, when the opportunity of a lifetime seems to be getting out of your grasp, but you understand that in following Jesus, sometimes I may have to give up some things. I may have to say yes to him and say no to myself. You understand, Jeremiah 29, 11, that my God has great plans for me to give me a hope and a future, to prosper me and not to harm me. You understand that you haven't given up anything, but you've actually just gained your soul. Salvation is free, but following Christ will eventually cost you something. And here's the good news. Here's the good news for you and I. You don't have to worry about when that's going to be. 
You'll know when it happens. You'll know when it happens. Because when the moment comes, you'll know the moment. And that moment is a no to me and a yes to Jesus. You're going to know that moment. And I believe. And I'm going to pray for you. And I believe that in that moment, you'll say yes to Jesus. That in that moment, you're going to do that. And that future, that moment, will end up just becoming a story like Glenn's is a story. A story of saying yes to Jesus and no to himself. But I want to ask you this morning, which story do you want to tell in your future? Which story do you want to tell? That I couldn't say no to me? Or I decided to say no to me? That I decided to say yes to Jesus? Which story do you want to tell? Do you want to tell the story that I gave up this and I gave up that? Or do you want to tell the story that I saved my soul? Saved my soul. You know, Trina and I have just had interesting stuff happen in our lives recently. And, you know, I think we told you guys how God did this miracle and we got this piece of land. We brought a section and a new subdivision. And it just looked like it was all go, Jesus. You know, Jesus, Jesus, all go. Woohoo! It's a miracle. Can't wait to get up and tell the church about this incredible miracle that God did, that got us into a piece of land and a brand new home, and God just did this incredible miracle. That was really cool until like four weeks ago. The miracle now has turned into more than a miracle. It's like, and it doesn't look like God's going to come through. It doesn't look like that I'm going to be able to get up here in 12 months' time and go, look at this incredible miracle that God did. It doesn't look like the miracle that I thought I could see. But I'm starting to discover that in the midst of this miracle that seems to be going sideways, this, this plan that doesn't seem to be fruitioning, that in the middle of that, I have a choice. I have a choice to say yes to Jesus and no to myself. Or no to Jesus and yes to myself. I have a choice to decide that in the future, it may not make sense what's happening right now, but in the future, I'm going to have a story that says I said yes to Jesus. I'm going to have a story that says I said yes to Jesus. And when I say yes to Jesus, if I, if I lose my life for his sake, I save my life. When I say yes to Jesus, I can't lose I can't lose when I say yes to Jesus. I lose when I say no to him. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that God wants to prosper you. In fact, the scripture teaches that he gives us the power to prosper. God wants to prosper you. But he doesn't prosper you at the cost of your soul. I had a battle with whether I was going to say this this morning, but I'm going to say it anyway. And you'll either forgive me or you'll get over yourself somehow. And I'm just going to say this. Some of us are so flippant in our attendance here on a Sunday. Oh, I work so hard all week. I need this time. I need my family time. I need this time. I get all of that. I really understand that. But what price are you paying?
What price are you paying by not being here every week in his presence and hearing from his word? What price is your soul paying? So I don't know about you, but my goal in life is not to get to heaven and go, hey God, look how big the church was. My goal is to get to heaven and say, hey God, here's my family. And the best thing I can do for my family is have them in church. Because it's about saving their soul. It's about saving their soul. And I've had to do that with my kids. I've had to say to Madison, you can't do soccer on Sundays when she's chosen for the rep side because we do church on Sundays. Because when you die, your rep soccer team will mean nothing for your soul. For your soul. If you were about to die today, what would you give up to save your soul? Why don't you stand to your feet this morning? What would you do? What would you give up? I don't even like saying the word give up because to me we're not giving up, we're gaining. What would you do to gain your soul this morning? What would you do? I've really thought about this this week because you've got to understand, before I preach something, it's like God takes me through this laundromat of emotions. And not the common washing machines, but those ones where you used to put the clothes through and you wind it and squash it and wring it out. That's the kind of process. And man, I got dreams and I got aspirations for about all sorts of things. But I had to ask myself this week, if it was going to cost my soul, would I give it up? And I really have no option but to say that gain my soul is more than to gain anything else. What would it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? Now, I'm not saying Jesus is not asking you to give up everything in your life right now. But I know there are people in this place where there have been moments and times where God has asked you to say no to you and yes to him and you haven't. I want to tell you this morning, just like Peter, Jesus will forgive you. He's not going to hold it against you. It's not how he rolls. Nothing separates us from his love. Nothing separates us. We know this from from the series so far that Jesus always called the sinners and the unbelievers to come follow him. He has no problems with your doubts. He has no problems with your unbelief. He has no problems with your questions. He's just saying, come follow me. And in following me, when I ask you to, trust me, deny yourself, save your soul. So why don't we just close our eyes just for a moment. And I just want to ask you this morning as we come to an end, man, I found this a little bit tough this morning. I don't know about you, but I don't think it's the most fluffy message in the world, but it's a message we need to hear that what are we going to do to gain our souls? And I'm not going to ask anybody to lift their hands or anything, but I'm going to ask you in just a moment, I want you, you know, I believe, I'm going to pray for you in a moment. I believe that God will put on your heart some of the things that you need, or maybe just one thing that you need to deny yourself in to save your soul. And I'm going to allow you to have that conversation with him and 
then we're going to worship him a little bit and just let him have his way. So, Father, I pray right now for every single person in this place that can hear my voice right now, God, that they would, you would impress upon them right now that maybe that one thing, that one thing that they've been struggling to say no to because they think that if they say no that they're losing. God, I pray that you would do a, a shift in our mentality this morning that would understand that God doesn't ask us to give up anything that we ain't going to lose anyway. That actually what he's trying to do is not cause us to lose anything, but to gain our souls. And so, Father, this morning I pray that you would help us, help us to say no to us, to say yes to you, to say no to us, to say yes to you. And so whatever that situation is for them right now as they're thinking about it, Father, I pray give them the courage Give them the strength, give them the fortitude right now to be able to say no, no, no to myself and yes to Jesus.